Welcome to Roundhill Radio, the podcast from Roundhill Community Church. Through our conversations, we discover the holy and the ordinary, find moments of grace and peace, and redefine what we're talking about when we talk about faith. Welcome to Roundhill Radio. I'm Leslie. I'm Ed. Good morning, Ed. Good morning, Leslie. I have a stump Ed question. I have a burning question. <laughs> easy to do. I've been wondering about this for a long time, and I thought, who can I ask? And obviously, it's you. <laughs> I have been wondering about using Xmas for Christmas. Oh, I feel yes. like, yeah, I feel like that's been a thing that I've heard scuttlebutt about yep. Yep. over the years, mm-hmm. and I can't get a straight answer. Does There's scuttlebutt. Is, is there scuttlebutt? Does the straight answer exist? What's well, going on with not- that? There's not a straight answer to anything when it comes to religion, right? You can, you can kind of fill in the gaps the way you want to, but yeah, Fair point. <laughs> let's dig into this a little bit. So your question's a great one. It actually it made me think immediately of being back in seminary because usually, uh, you know, students are writing frantically away when they were, of course, this is when we were writing before laptops, but uh, they would, you know, we would always use the letter X or a version of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, if we were, you know, there was a reference to Christ and another Greek letter, uh, theta, if we were, there was a reference to God. So people have been using these abbreviations for a long, long time. I think when it comes to Xmas, there has been a, a suspicion that either people are just plain lazy and can't write out the whole thing, or there has, and this is the scuttlebutt part, there actually has been uh, this view, and it's not—it's uh, not exactly a minority view. It's shared by a lot of people that uh, that the Christ in Christmas has been replaced with an X mm. to denote an unknown quantity, as if by shortening Christmas to Xmas, you are removing Christ from Christmas mm. and now making the whole holiday completely secular and making the X a great big question mark. And I am pretty sure that is absolutely not the truth. <laughs> as, as one who loves abbreviations, um, I think this is actually a, a good abbreviation because the X really has its origin in the Greek alphabet. It's the Greek letter chi. So it's uh, in, in some cases, um, early on, actually, many hundreds of years ago, we have manuscripts that show a chi rho, which are two Greek letters denoting Jesus Christ. And uh, those were used probably by monks who were copying documents and shortened things down a little bit. So you have a chi and a rho, and then the rest of the spelling out of Christmas. So the, the original, the word really means Christ's mass. Mm-hmm. And so it's the celebration of mass on Christmas Eve in particular, and the celebration of Christ's birth on Christmas. Um, so I think the scuttlebutt is interesting because we love to make scuttlebutt about stuff. <laughs> and uh, so, <laughs> shocking. Uh, but that's a little bit of fun fun background to Xmas. So I think if you're attempted to use Xmas, you, you're actually standing in a long tradition of great abbreviators. And uh, they clearly meant no harm by their by their work. But Excellent. maybe they, maybe they were just getting a little tired, you know, in their copying efforts. We can use it without <laughs> guilt now. I like we that. Use it. Use it indeed. Yes. Yeah. I'll try to make it slightly more like cl- 
is calligraphic a word? I'm going to it use it anyway. Calligraphic. Thank yeah. You. Calligraphic. So I feel more in the line of those. Put a little amazing. flourish on there. Flourish. And then it yeah. feels special. <laughs> well, thanks for that. I might fun. have to come up with more stump ed questions because these are fun. <laughs> <laughs> you can come up with any stump ed questions you want. Just give me at least two months to prepare for them. How's that? Okay. Advance notice. <laughs> that seems fair. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Oh my gosh. So today's Christmas Carol, as you guys know, we are discussing all December our favorite Christmas carols and learning the stories uh, behind them and discussing them in detail. This one, Ed and I have been discovering through our research, is fascinating. We are talking oh. about the hymn Good King Wenceslas, which I can I can now pronounce properly. You did <laughs> last a beautiful week. job. <laughs> Get a little tripped up on it. Set the um, bar high. <laughs> yes, I have. I have uh, been singing it in my head all morning long, mm-hmm. and I have to say, the version of it that's in my head is from the Muppet Christmas Carol, <laughs> where there's the little he's he's I don't know what creature he is, but he's standing outside Scrooge's house and he's singing, <laughs> and he gets to oh. brightly shown, and then he, I think Scrooge opens the door and he's like the moon at night. <laughs> So I, I get to the it. point, I go brightly shown. I can see it all. All of the enthusiasm. The classic that is the Whoa. Muppet Christmas Carol. I'm saving it this year to watch it at a... Oh, save it and savor it. It's the best. It's it's my favorite. Right, quickly, just because I think it's a good question, and we'll get back to King Wenceslas. Do you have favorite Christmas movies that you like have to watch every year? Oh, you know, it's so interesting. Uh, this is going to sound so obvious, but really... I do have to either read or watch some version of A Christmas Carol. It's so good. It's my anchor. And and yeah. to me, I guess I sort of feel like it's my faith all rolled into this one story. I'm just totally fascinated by it. And there used to be, uh, maybe still is, of course, it won't be happening this year, but uh, a wonderful production of it every year at the Hartford Stage in Hartford, mm-hmm. Connecticut. Just a brilliant presentation of it. And I used to take my family there every single year. That was part of our tradition. So that's the one for me. And I try to alternate the, because there've been so many film versions of it. Um, So that's, that's part of my, uh, that's my Christmas tradition. So do you have one beyond the Muppets that you? uh... Yeah. Oh yeah. The Muppet Christmas Carol. The one I think that actually preceded it as my favorite and remains is White Christmas. Mm. Yeah. Dance numbers and all. Oh, I mean, give me some Rosemary Clooney <laughs> any day. I mean, and Bing Crosby. Come on, <laughs> come on! It's the perfect oh, movie. I think it's it's a, it's a pretty perfect movie. I mean, it's flawed, but it's also <laughs> beautiful and perfect. Right, um, flawed in a perfect way. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but I love it. I have it on Blu-ray now. You know, I've had it on the various. I used to check it out from the library growing up. It's it's absolutely uh, one of my favorites. If you're going to recommend to our listeners one version of the Christmas Carol to watch that isn't the Muppet one, because to me that's separate the, and awesome. But the one that I really love features George C. Scott as Ebenezer Scrooge. Mm-hmm. To me he really captured that role more than anybody else that I've ever seen in it. So that's, that's the version that I really like. I think he was magnificent. Awesome. I'll have to, I'm not sure. I'll have to go check that one out too. Maybe we can do a, a survey of all the Christmas carols this year. We Fantastic. have the time. <laughs> yes. Dive deep. This Maybe is a good a, thing to be doing during a pandemic, right? There you go. Especially uh, during those, um, 
you know, sort of those post Christmas days, you're not really ready to give up Christmas. Yeah. And is the 12 days of Christmas, if you're a traditionalist, here's my yearly rant the 12 days of Christmas begin on Christmas Day. So, yes, yes I will be keeping my tree up. <laughs> so, if you're watching the podcast and it's Epiphany and I still have my tree up, I mean, technically on Epiphany, it's okay. Down, but, you know, it's, it's 2020. Even if it'll be 2021, it's still 2020. <laughs> Do whatever you need to. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate the validation. <laughs> okay. So Good King wins this last. We have our Handy Dandy, Then Sings My Soul book, all about the story of it. Do you want to give uh, our listeners some info on who this King wins this last was? Because it's a real person. It's a real person. And Leslie, first of all, thank you for bringing to my attention this carol and its its historical background because digging into it, it's amazing. The message of the, of the carol, first of all, and the two personalities involved in it. And I'll just focus on not the composer and the of the carol, uh, but actually on Wenceslas. So a man who lived in Bohemia, uh, he was a Bohemian duke and lived uh, circa 900. Uh, so long time ago. And um, that's, of course, the present-day Czech Republic. He was a reformer, I guess would be the best way to say it. And at a time when people probably didn't expect a lot of compassion from their royal rulers, this man had a heart of gold. I mean, he was just outstanding. So he, he helped to forge a good uh, state of international relations with Germany at the time. Uh, he was uh, well known as an advocate of impoverished people and actually was remembered for having gone out himself to cut wood and gather materials that would help people who didn't have basic supplies to survive the winter. So he was a hands-on ruler. And what a tragedy to dig into his life and find out that he was murdered by his brother. So not everybody in the household had a good heart. <laughs> it really yeah. was not, not great. Um, but he was so influential <clears throat> that his death was viewed as a martyrdom. Mm. And so he became the patron saint of the Czech Republic. And to this, he's, to, to this day, he occupies that role. So Wenceslas was an incredibly important person and just remembered for all of his good deeds. And uh, just, in a, you know, at a time when, especially we, we need leadership all across the world right now, that's sensitive and compassionate and, and, and compassionate and involved. Here's a great model for us. So that's a little bit of background on good King Wenceslas. And of course, he, he actually wasn't a king, as it turns out. He's given that designation in the hymn because he really is a, a kingly figure. Mm -hmm. And I think that the author really meant to compare him to the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Jesus, who also was a great advocate of the poor. So yeah, and we, a little bit of background. Nice. And we can see that parallel in the um, fourth verse when the... so. Let me back up a little quickly. So this hymn is interesting because it really is a story, mm, right? And sometimes we'll right. have, you know, poetic verses and you can skip around. But if you were if you're going caroling, you have to sing all of them. <laughs> Be prepared. Yeah. You can't miss any of these out. It's a marathon, not a sprint. <laughs> Get ready. Well said. Um, yeah. Well sung. So you have to go through all of them. Um, but it's such it's such good reading. It's such a wonderful story of a hymn. Mm. Um, but in so Wenceslas has this, you know, his this page and he's he's 
freezing. And so, uh, you know, on verse four, he says, mark my footstep, my good, my good page tread now in them boldly. You shall find the winter's rage, freeze your blood less coldly. Mm. Um, and that idea of walking in the footsteps, which awesome. I know at least in modern Christianity is such a, a classic, uh, way of, 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 of the faith. That's right. Walking in the footsteps of Jesus is such a, is such a vivid imagery that we use. Yes, indeed. Um, It's really interesting. Yeah. It's such a lovely story that uh, Wenceslas notices that there are people who don't have wood. And so he enlists this poor young page to go out with him, you know, his assistant who probably thought this was going to be the cool job. Uh, Well, it was cool. All right. It was (laughs) freezing cold as it turned out. Right. And they, they go out, these two companions. That's what I love about this. Now, I have to confess, Leslie, I have sung this hymn many, many times. I hear it. It's it's always rolling around in my head pre-Christmas. But I've got to be honest and say I never really focused on the story and its depth uh, as I have thanks to your invitation to to listen to it. And so I just think it's it's so wonderful that you have this image of someone who goes out of his way uh, on a cold winter night to help someone else out. It's such a basic human image, um, you know, yeah. such a, such a wonderful gesture of kindness. Absolutely. And so we have this language by, um, John Mason Neal, who was the text writer of it. Um, and it's n- not necessarily, been well received by scholars over the years shall we you, you are putting a real fine gloss on that mm-hmm. yeah Sh- should we read some reviews i think I, you I should shot it on my phone let me oh yeah it. i mean um, if if this is a five star if you got five stars as an option it's not going for all five no oh well i just tell you that's my favorite thing i've seen for uh for 2020 is uh, cr- uh christmas oh. ornaments that say 2020 <laughs> one star would not recommend yeah did i've seen these yes. yeah good um <laughs> so this so a person by the name of Massé in 1921 wrote why for instance do we tolerate such impositions as good king went to slot Excuse me. The original was and is an Eastern hymn. We'll talk about that in a second. It is Martin Carroll books as traditional, which is a delightful word, which often conceals ignorance. There is nothing (laughs) traditional in it as a Carroll. Oh, that wasn't even one star. Burn. Negative stars. (laughs) (laughs) So there is this idea of, well, there is this, this thing of that. It was a, Spring Carol, mm-hmm. the tune being Tempust Adest Floridi, Floridum, Floridum. I need to work on my Latin, Floridum, <laughs> um, which is a an Easter carol they sung. The text being, uh, "Spring has now unwrapped the flowers," which sounds delightful, beautiful. Um, and if you do a quick Google search, image search for the hymn tune, you can actually see an old, uh, an old a picture of a manuscript with it on it. It's beautiful with the, with the old Latin text and you can see it and you can follow along and you can kind of sing along to the nooms. That's how music was written. That's called, those are nooms. Mm. Um, really, really cool stuff. And so this also makes me think of the pushback, shall we yeah. say, that sometimes happens when a favorite hymn 
is given new text. Oh, well done. Yes. Yeah. Great connection. And I, and I'm, and it almost feels like, well, yep, someone else had their favorite hymn replaced and now they're mad. Yep. <laughs> History tends to repeat itself. <laughs> Don't mess around with my Easter carols. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, because that's the thing, isn't it? We all have like at this time of year, at these big holidays, we have our favorite hymns we want to sing. And if they're missing, it's not, like you said, it's not quite, you know, for you, it's not quite Christmas without the Christmas carol. And for some people, it's not quite the same holiday without their favorite, their favorite hymns for sure. Cause for me, it's not Advent without O Come and Come Emmanuel. Like I have oh. to listen to it or play it, you know? Sure. And, and speaking of which, there's a connection between that hymn and our, our good our friend, person. John, John Mason Neal, who wrote the text for that too. Isn't that amazing? He, so Neal was apparently, I was sort of a medievalist. Um, it makes me wonder if he was also an organist because those things mm. tend to go hand in hand. Uh-huh. Um, the, you know, as, as I am a nostalgic millennial, <laughs> according to uh, people, uh, I think he was a nostalgic, he was a nostalgic, you know, he liked the olden times. There was, there's a funny quote in this, in this wonderful book we have that says, uh, Neil helped establish a committee to investigate and restore dilapidated churches church buildings in Great Britain. He was particularly upset at the ugly stoves installed to heat churches in Victorian times. Let better them be, freeze. That's right. Better to be cold and correct. <laughs> and right? cold and correct. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what does he want? So yeah. So any of these sort of medieval chant sort of vibes um, we get, we get with his, his hymns. Although I wouldn't think of Tempest at Florida as particularly it doesn't have the same chant mm -hmm, mm -hmm. feel that Oh Come On Come Emmanuel has. It, it feels right. it's much more of a dance. Right. Isn't it? You know. And I think that's what bothered people about it, right? In the middle of the 19th century when he was writing this thing, like, how dare you use this kind of dance tune mm -hmm. to tell this really, you know, and, and I guess people didn't really like the story. They just thought it was I don't know what they thought about it, kind of thin. Right. Um, but in fact, it is an interesting, I was, I was thinking about this last night, that here he takes his dance tune and he puts it together with basically a feel-good story about a royal person, you know, who goes out of his way to help someone in his, in his kingdom. And um, I thought, why not? You know, it, in, the, in the heart of this thing, there's a spirit of joy. Mm -hmm. And that's what he's captured. And he's gotten the sense that maybe service really ought to have a joyful quality to it. You know, it's not something that's supposed to be solemn. And uh, so anyway, I, I really liked that connection. And I, I was, I'm really fascinated by John Mason Neal because clearly he was a scholar mm -hmm. and he was looking at the past. He was mining the past for resources and treasures. And he clearly loved these old ancient buildings and wanted them to be maintained in the purest, pristine way, at least as he was going to define that. <laughs> um, there was one other thing I wanted to mention about him. Yeah, there's a reference in this carol to St. Stephen. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's- Feast of Stephen, right? The Feast of Stephen, that's right, which is December the 26th. And Stephen was considered the first Christian martyr. So he was- um, someone who was also recognized for his good-heartedness and was killed um, because he was outspoken against religious authorities of his day. This is at a time when, 
you know, the sort of growing movement around Jesus was in real conflict with Judaism and people who were in that movement couldn't figure out, are we still thoroughly Jewish? Are we becoming something new and different? And uh, of course, the person who held people's cloaks and coats while they stoned Stephen to death was none other than a man named Saul, who would become Paul, the great missionary of early Christianity. So he was a so it's such an interesting connection. He was associated with Stephen's death, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And then John Mason Neal mentioned Stephen in this hymn because I think he wants to say there was a man who was good-hearted and who was extraordinarily giving and who was also martyred. And now you've got Wenceslas, same thing. He also dies because of his faith, you know? So there's, there's joy in it and there's a vision of goodness. And there's also a reminder, you know, the old saying, no good deed goes unpunished. Mm -hmm. And here's a case of a man who, uh, who dies while living out his faith. So it's a, it's a reminder. I think he's reminding us this, this faith of ours it can take us down many different roads, and some of them, some of them lead to tragedy. Uh, but out of it comes life, because for Stephen, uh, also there's a sense that his obviously his life goes on to life beyond his death. So mm -hmm. I think this is what Neil is suggesting in this in this Christmas Carol. Yeah, and it's interesting too that <laughs> this one because he was you know he had so many translations, but he wrote this poem, so yes. it's like his own original his own original work, which I think is really interesting. Uh -huh. I have to I have to read another review because he just made me laugh so hard. <laughs> um, but <laughs> so the Oxford Book of Carols is sort of you know one of the books of carols as you can imagine because you know Oxford. Um, standard. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um. Oh yeah, I I I will I will forever be known as the person. I'm I'm a advocate of the Oxford comma for the record. I go and add them into things now. Um. But anyways, so the the editors of the Oxford Book of Carols in 1928 wrote this. This rather confused narrative owes its popularity to the delightful tune, which is that of a spring carol. So basically, the only reason it's any popular is because the tune's cute. It's cute exactly. tune. The text is terrible. It's an earworm. <laughs> and then, and then at the, I'll skip ahead at the end. He said, they say, the time has not yet come for a comprehensive book to discard it, because this is obviously a comprehensive book. But we reprint the tune in its proper setting, not without hope that with the present wealth of carols for Christmas, good King Wenceslas may gradually pass into disuse and the tune be restored to springtime. Oh, my heavens. 20, wow. the tw they were sassy in the 20s. <laughs> something they, I'm discovering today. I wonder if they wrote that during Christmas. <laughs> I know. Uh, was the reviewer Ebenezer Scrooge? <laughs> <laughs> Possibly. It has the vibe. I will say they weren't necessarily wrong because do you think Winslow's is not in here? <laughs> Yeah, I think we I think we previewed three hymnals today looking for it. And uh, yeah. I, I, unfortunately, it seems to be a prophecy that's coming true. I know. It, How do you right here on Roundhill Radio podcast? We are reviving this interest in this carol, bringing it back. Like with Neil, we're medievalists rediscovering things. Yes. Us building up a Christmas carol. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we've discovered that there's a lot in this carol. And, mm -hmm. and thank you, John Mason Neal. Yeah. <laughs> Time that somebody showed you a little love. <laughs> we got your back. <laughs> oh, 
Oh my gosh. Uh, well, join us next week. I'll give them a little teaser because I have my, yes. I numbered my post-it notes. <laughs> so next week is one of the all-time favorites, I think, of Oh Come, All Ye Faithful. We're going to dive into that. Um, and then we have one more after that. So thank you for joining us today and we'll see you all next week. And thanks for this time, Ed. Thank you, Leslie, and blessings to everyone. Thanks for listening. Round Hill Radio is brought to you by the friends and members of Round Hill Community Church. For more information, please visit roundhillcommunitychurch.org.